Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to DA Rockstars. Jules and I are so glad you're here. We got to do a webinar with Doug and Chelsea from Dent Supply Serona, and oh my gosh, <laughs> so much amazing information was shared about dental handpieces and aerosols and literally the whole kit and caboodle, like answering all the questions that you guys have about producing aerosols in the operatory. Wait till the end of the show. I'll go ahead and get you guys the CE for the podcast version and tell you where to go. Okay, guys, it's time for you to figure out this ordering thing. Either your dentist has not delegated that to you or you already have the task and it's overwhelming. Check out Zen Supplies. They are the next generation of ordering dental supplies in an online platform. It literally is almost like having an Amazon account for your dental office. They are helping DAs save their dentist money and get their time back all the time that you spend looking up products, trying to figure out how much stuff you have, how your budget is going to be allocated. Literally, it's all in one place. So if your dentist is getting ready to delegate to you and say, you know what, I want you to take this ball and help us with our ordering so that we can get our costs down, make sure that we have the proper supplies and we're not over ordering or under ordering, but just being held accountable and, and giving you the, this master tool that's truly gonna help get you rockstar status. So go check them out, www.zensupplies.com. All right, welcome everybody. Today is Tuesday the 28th, and today we have Rhonda, myself, and two fabulous reps from Dent Supply Serona, and Doug and Chelsea. We're thankful that you are joining us to talk about aerosols and the dental handpiece amongst this time of angst with everybody in the dental practice. So I'll have Chelsea and Doug introduce themselves and where they work out of and where they represent and what they do for Dent Supply. Go ahead, Chelsea. Hi, everyone. Um, like Jules said, happy Tuesday. I'm Chelsea Leone. I'm out of Buffalo, New York. So, and actually it's not snowing today. Uh, which is amazing. Um, and anyway, so I work for Dense Place Serona for the last eight years. I've been on the restorative side of our business. So I was commonly in, um, you know, some of our offices talking about class two and single unit crown. And just recently I did move over to our Midwest division, which handles our hand pieces and also our rotary line. And I love doing this part of the business. It's very hands-on. I love working with our dental assistants and doctors and staff members. I mean, it's just been an incredible experience. Hey everyone, Doug Mayer, Doug Mayer here. Uh, I'm a 27 year handpiece veteran. I started with uh, Midwest and then I, I went to um, a competitor um, handpiece company for many years and then uh, came back to Midwest in 2010. Uh, so I have experience uh, specifically with Midwest and with Cavo. Um, I also, as a product uh, specialist, also uh, have had the opportunity and the, and the great blessing of being able to actually um, design several handpiece systems for the North American market. So I dig down deep uh, into this because I, again, I just love customers and I want to be able to make their life easier and make hand pieces and equipment that that meets their their needs. Um, one of the things that I've done the past about eight or nine years is dug really deep into infection prevention, infection control. Even though 
I actually was hired into the Hampi's business because of sterilization of high speeds uh, back in, in 1992 when everything, uh, we started sterilizing high speeds. So it's one of my passions. I love machines and I, I love the law side of this as well to make sure you guys are well informed so that you can make good decisions on infection control. And it's awesome because a, a lot of it is intricate and they all kind of connect together. And obviously we can't in dentistry work without a handpiece, right? True. So it's our main tool that we use. So we really should know everything we can about it to make sure that we're pro providing the best dentistry and care for our patients. Agree. We also say that, that the handpiece is pretty much anytime you want to fix a tooth, no matter if it's general practitioner, endo, uh, ortho, you know, oral surgery, you know, uh, anything, it involves a handpiece. So that is the bread and butter of dentistry. So we'll start with our discussion. What are aerosols? Who wants to answer? If I may, if I'll, someone I'll, doesn't really know what an aerosol I'll you, is. I will give you the official uh, definition okay. from the CDC. So <clears throat> I have my 2003 CDC guidelines here, which are 17 years old. Um, so this is not new information. And what I want to caution everybody about is I get that it's that that COVID-19 is a very, you know, uh, uh, talked about uh, situation right now. However, in the dental business, we can kind of say, eh, we've already been doing all that stuff. So we're already safe because it is the, the 2003 CDC guidelines are the current state of the art science. Now, they've massaged those a little bit with the current situation, more to do with the waiting room than it has to do mm -hmm. with the dental operatory. So here's what, here's what the 2003, 17-year-old um, CDC guidelines say about uh, aerosols. Number one, use of rotary dental and surgical instruments, such as hand pieces or ultrasonic scalers and air water syringes, creates a visible spray that contains primarily large particle droplets of water, saliva, blood, microorganisms, and other debris. This spatter travels only a short distance and settles out quickly, landing on the floor. Um, so next time you're rolling around on the floor changing something, just be aware of that. Uh, nearby operatory services, DHCP, dental healthcare professional, or the patient, okay? Now it's stuck specifically about aerosols. The spray also might contain certain aerosols, for example, particles uh, that can be breathed in with a particle size of less than 10 microns. Aerosols can remain airborne for extended periods and can be inhaled. However, they should not be confused with large particle spatter that makes up a bulk of the spray from handpieces and ultrasonic scalers. So there's the official definition from the CDC. Great. Um, does anybody have any questions about that? I hope we all are kind of familiar now with our aerosols. I think we've, I <coughs> I say an aerosol to death the last couple of months, but <laughs> we've heard the word over and over and over. How are aerosols in the current situation connected? So, like I said, this this is this current situation has heightened our awareness of things of infection prevention. However, most of it hasn't changed. The science hasn't changed. We've been taking these standard precautions, well, basically ever since 1993 when the, when the CDC updated their, their um, uh, infection prevention guidelines for dentistry, right after the AIDS scare, 
So HIV was passed in a dental office in Florida um, in 19, in the late 80s, and then um, testing happened in the early 90s. We started sterilizing high speeds, and these other things came into fruition. So what's nice is if you are currently following the CDC guidelines, you're already, I would say, 99% there. Now there's just a little bit of extra caution because it's a hot topic. And I would say, you know, we all do things, we get in a rut of doing things, and then something happens to remind us that we need to be careful. And I think that's just right. where we're at right now. So as far as actual COVID-19, I think we're going to treat it. Because remember, we have HIV, we have hepatitis B, we have hepatitis C, other blood-borne pathogens, other aerosol issues that, that we've been dealing with for a long time. This isn't something new. The challenge is for dentistry, and I think everybody's kind of recognizing that now, is that if you read any guidelines for patients walking into the regular dental or regular doctor office, wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And that will keep your aerosols down from, you know, your human body. The problem is we can't wear a mask <laughs> and give dentistry because that's the very place we need to be, right? So, mm -hmm. so that's where dental is a, is a special circumstance in this case. Okay. Um, so risk of aerosols, with the current situations and the handpiece, how does it put it, us at greater risk with the handpiece? So the, the information that I just read to you from the CDC to describe what aerosols are <clears throat> mm -hmm. is entitled personal protective equipment. So HVE is a PPE. We think of it as what we can wear, but actually HVE, high velocity and or high volume evacuation is a personal protective piece of equipment. So what I just read you, if I read the very bottom, here's what it says about that. Appropriate work practices, including use of dental dams and high velocity air evacuation should minimize dissemination of droplets, spatter, and aerosols. So my point is, what you all have already been doing for a long time, you keep doing because it was protecting you. Prior to this current situation, we were still wanting to protect you from HIV, from hepatitis B, from hepatitis right. C, from the common cold, because let's face it, it won't hurt us that bad, but we don't have that kind of time to be sick, right? right? So we really want to just stick with what we've been doing or reevaluate how we've been doing. And if we've kind of laxed off, not because you're in dental, because you're a human being and you got, you know, kind of complacent, just reinvigorate your infection uh, prevention protocols um let's see what um what steps can we take as healthcare providers in dentistry to prevent the spread of aerosols when using our handpiece what are some good things whether it's maintenance it's a, the proper use of a dental dam an hpe system what do you recommend Besides, you know, now we're going to rush and get N95 masks and, all, and <laughs> face shields and um, stuff like that. What do you recommend the use of your hand pieces, whether it's any hand piece, the water levels? I mean, I know that sometimes when my doctor uses it, it is like Niagara Falls. Does right. it need to be like that? And I, you know, the patient's drowning. So go through some <laughs> things that you would recommend doing as a hand piece expert of containing those aerosols and helping us, you know, minimize the exposure to them? Sure. So hey, great question. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. We've, we've been getting this question quite a bit, especially the equipment. Um, yeah. We're going to take questions at the end in the, in the panel. 
What'd you say? You be, oh, you've been get, oh, you I thought you were reading the questions. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, yeah. Anyways, um, people like myself that are um, equipment specialists in the field have been fielding a lot of questions around this very topic. Um, and the question typically comes up, doesn't matter hand piece to hand piece, you know, how many, how much aerosol is generated? And the answer to that question is no. Um, where you can look at reducing aerosols would be when it comes into your chip air, which is an adjustment on the dental unit itself and the amount of water that is coming out of the handpiece. So by adjusting those, you can certainly get to a point where you have the aerosolized mist, but not overkill like you were just stating where it's like Niagara Falls. So you can kind of find that happy medium. So I have been fielding a lot of questions. Um, the other part of this is the dental dams. I was very involved in doing a lot of chair sites with our restorative side of our business. And one thing that I really picked up on was I could probably count on my hand the number of you know, offices that were using dental dams. Um, from a restorative standpoint, uh, it's pretty important because you can certainly isolate the tooth a lot better. And in addition to, as the CDC has stated, you know, that can really certainly help out when it comes to aerosols you know, from using you know, aerosolized mist from the hand pieces. Yeah, so to Chelsea's point, and, and someone who's out in the field all the time, Chelsea's doing this all the time, one of the first things we do is check there's only one knob on most dental units to adjust the coolant air, which we also call chip air, and that's a really old term, but we still use it. And um, a lot of times what will happen is the clinician will reach down to adjust their water, and of course they're still looking at the patient, so they just grab a knob and start turning and sometimes it's the wrong one. So sometimes that chip air, coolant air will be turned up inadvertently. So a lot of times what we'll do, and Chelsea, I know you've done this a lot, is walk in and kind of start from zero, turn the water volume off on that particular water line and turn the chip air coolant off, which if, if there's three or four lines on the, on the dental unit, it affects all of those and turn those all back down to zero and then bring up the water um, flow just enough to where you kind of get a stream of water out of there and then add in chip air just enough to atomize the water to clinical need and then some dental units even have that knob removable I would take that knob out because again from a clinical standpoint usually the, the dentist will say yep that's right where I want it and and right. we'll take that out and leave the chip air where it is and then adjust the volume of water as needed clinically Okay. And all of our specialists have been trained in order to do this. So if anybody needs any additional help with regard to this, we can certainly do it. I mean, there's a number of different dental units, number of different manufacturers. Um, so it's not all are created equal by any means, but we can certainly come out and do that in the offices. And do you know exactly like what is the best so you don't burn a tooth? Like do you guys have it like where it's calibrated that you'll know that this is, or is it just per doctor specific? That's yep. what, you know, what, how much water they like, how much, you know. And the clinician will also usually be able to tell if they don't have quite enough flow because what that coolant air is actually doing, let's just modify the, uh, that real quick and just let you know what that actually does. It atomizes the water spray. What that does for us clinically 
is it increases the velocity of the water spray so that it does a good job of debris the burr or the diamond. Because if those clog up, they don't cut very well. And then also it starts to create heat. The other thing it does is, is by atomizing that water spray, it's more effective at disseminating the heat away from the tooth. And then also when you atomize that water spray, it's easier for the clinician to see through that as opposed to a stream of water. So that's what we're actually doing with that, with that chip air slash coolant air. That's where I always put that back on the clinician on where they feel they need that. And, and they'll kind of know that because if, they're, if their burr diamond starts to clog up, they may not have enough coolant air to really increase the velocity of the water spray to debris it. So they'll ask for more of that. So you recommend once the air gets adjusted the way they like it to remove that knob off the, the delivery unit and just adjust water. I would, and if, it, if the knob doesn't come out, maybe it's a good idea to put a piece of tape over it or something to identify it as, hey, don't, don't, don't touch this. Mm -hmm. unless the clinician specifically wants to do that. Every once in a while they do. If they're doing an endo procedure, they're using a hand piece that they usually use in the office, but then they can put an attachment on it to do endo, and they don't want coolant air there going down the canal, they're going to physically shut that off. So they still are going to need access to that at some point, but it's not an everyday adjustment. Okay, that's good yep. to know. Any other insight, Charles? No, I just going back to the basics. Um, like they're just indicating, which is, you know, definitely something that's being impressed upon out there. Um, you know, going back to dental dams, I've had many clinicians through the years say, gosh, I used to do it in school, but I don't do it any longer. Um, but, you know, I've always been told if you can really do the basics well, you're going to do really well overall. Um, so probably, you know, getting back to that point where you're doing that, um, the HVE obviously is an important topic. Uh, we've been actually co-trained as well uh, to an extent with our preventative folks, seeing that the HVE topic is coming up pretty heavy mm -hmm. uh, with hygienists, um, especially since many of them are using saliva ejectors and not utilizing an HVE line. Um, so, you know, just looking at making those improvements um, will certainly, as, as we've talked about, like reduce the risk. Um, HVE, it's been known that it actually reduces um, contamination about 90%, which is substantial. Um, it's also important to have an eight millimeter opening bore size, which I've been educated about quite a bit, you know, that all HVEs are not created equal and right. make sure that- Some are shorter, some are longer. Yep. Some, you know, mm -hmm. So is it, it's always a, a hot topic too, since you're on the subject of, of HVEs, vented side in or out? Doug, what would you say? I, I would say you want to point the vent towards the water source. Okay. What's yep. the, and so, I actually want to know, what is the purpose of the hole in the top of the HVE? What does it actually do? And I've never researched it in all my years of dentistry. So, I put it in. So you tell me, am I doing it wrong or should well, I do it better? Well, what the holes actually do is it's a, it's a vent. Okay. And, and so if you, have a, if you have a vacuum cleaner at home, you'll see, you might wonder, what's this, this weird knob where I can turn it and it starts to suck in air from this vent? Okay. Well, that's so you can go to something and maybe do the drapes and it doesn't suck up the drapes. It just sucks off the dust. So that's a, that's a vent relief. So okay. that way, if you get it stuck onto the patient's 
um, uh, tissue, it won't stay there and you have to, you know, pull it off. Right, so, okay. so, so that's what that's for. And I'm not, I'm not, you, you all would know better than I do right. with regards to how to best use your, your HVEs. Um, and I would put that in your hands. I am certainly not an expert there. Um, you all are. Okay. Uh, the, but the other thing I would say is you want, you want the HVE to be as close to the, and this is the CDC and the ADA talking, you want the HVE uh, to be as close as possible to the source. Right. So before that aerosols, it's already sucked up into the vacuum. Yeah. Right. And the other side of that is, um, I will men make mention of this as well. And again, just because we're refocusing on this, this is some things we should have been doing all along. But again, as human nature, we get complacent because we're doing it every day. I get it. I'm absolutely the same way. But so here's a statement from the CDC that may shock some of you. Wear a, so wear a surgical mask and eye protection with solid side shields or a face shield to protect your, that's my word, mucous membranes of the eyes, nose, and mouth during procedures likely to generate splashing or splattering of blood or other bodily fluids. Guess when that came out? 1984. So the current guidelines are from, 20, are from 2003, 17 right. years old but actually they even reference their very beginnings in dental. They've always recommended that simply because aerosols can carry viral and bacterial infections. So now it's just kind of a, we're not reinventing the wheel, we're just remembering what the wheel actually does. Right, absolutely. And kind of going back to where we began, and like you said, we become complacent. We sometimes are in a rush and kind of don't want to say we cut corners, but we you know, sometimes forget to do all of the steps from A to Z. So and, let's go ahead, Kelsey. And you know, I think the best um, way to even look at approaching it at this point is, you know, to take a look at the summary of infection prevention practices in dental settings. And this is what the book looks like right here. And it really gives, it boils down that 2003 guidance um, into, you know, a very, readable, um, you know, important points highlighted book. And it also, you know, outlines in the back of it, the sterilization and disinfection of patient care items and devices in doing a self-assessment at your offices. So being able to check those boxes, yes or no, on these important points. Um, as well as the CDC also has that app out there, the dental, the dental check, check app. Mm -hmm. And which is another great tool right. uh, for everyone to use to, you know, make sure that these guidelines are, are being followed. Yeah. So between all of these tools, I think it makes it much more, uh, you know, much easier um, to try to, you know, meet these recommendations and guidance. Now, for you know, those who weren't on the podcast that we did with the hand pieces, let's have you two go over and reiterate our handpiece maintenance protocols and kind of, you know, what we can do better, what is best and, you know, how we should be maintenancing all our handpieces so that we, you know, get rid of all that aerosols that are in them from using them. Rhonda, did you have a question? Oh, no, I'm just saying, oh. India from last week, we had a webinar. She utilized that book as well. 
Yes. So like, it seems like industry standard, like this is our go-to guys. Grab it's all free. Yes. You can download it free. Yes. And we yeah. can share, we can share all these links. So just, just as a clarification though, there's actually two documents. The 2003 document is the controlling document. It has all the scientific information. The 2016 summary is the plain language document, which for anybody who's my age will say that's the Cliff Notes version. It's easy to read, easy to follow. The 2003 document is a little bit more in the weeds. So absolutely suggest that you have both the 2003 CDC document and the 2016 document. In the back of the 2016 document, there is, like Chelsea said, a checklist. And then in the back of the 2003 document, there's also what they call actual recommendations that highlight them out in uh, outline form. So just to clarify all of that, be educated on that. Uh, and remember, OSHA cares about you, the employee, right. and, and, and CDC cares about all human beings. Whether you're the patient, the worker, a visitor, the UPS guy walking in, they care about all human beings. So just remember who the audience is. For CDC, it's all humans. For OSHA, it's you specifically, the worker. Right. Just be aware of that. And then, Jules, to your point, when we start talking about handpiece maintenance and infection control, that's where OSHA leaves us because that has nothing to do with the employee except on how you, the employee, protect yourself as you're, as you're processing these instruments. But they have no say in how you should process them for patient care. Right. So with that, um, and Chelsea, jump in here anytime, but from an, from an, from an infection control standpoint for handpieces, all handpieces need to be, because I saw it even in, a, in a, um, uh, a question on the side here, how many times should we sterilize our handpieces uh, per, you know, each day. It needs to be sterilized after use on every single patient, both air high-speed handpieces, electric handpieces, mm -hmm. low-speed handpieces, low-speed motors, hygiene motors, and electric motors all need to be sterilized between patients since 2003. So again, not, not, new, not new stuff. But maybe, you know, we've been talking about this a lot look, I get it. I'm a good human being. Do I stop at every stop sign or do I kind of roll through them? I get complacent, right? Mm -hmm. But if there's a police officer sitting there, I'm like, reminds me to do it right. So all this, this current situation is just all reminding us to get back in line for the protection of yourself and of course your patients as well. So go yeah, through us, actually, your, I'll go ahead. It actually outlines it once again in the summary. Um, and actually, I have it highlighted right here, especially about low-speed motors. Um, if there's any breaches that I typically see when I go into operatories, it would definitely be this. I can see that the motor, you know, is still sitting, you know, on the dental unit, um, you know, from the prior patient and hasn't been through the sterilization process. So within this document, page 14, it says explicitly, dental hand pieces and associated attachments low-speed motors and reusable profi angles should always be heat sterilized between patients and not high level or surface disinfected. Although these devices are considered semi-critical, studies have shown that their internal surfaces can become contaminated with patient materials during use. If these devices are not properly cleaned and heat sterilized, the next patient may be exposed to potentially infectious materials. 
Um, once again, I said this on our last podcast, I am certainly not the CDC police when I come into operatories or anything, um, but I, I definitely want to convey, you know, the correct message um, to the offices and the correct, you know, um, guidance around it. Sometimes there's just misinformation out there or assuming that you can't put a motor through a sterilization process. And so I feel like when I'm there, this is part of my job, um, you know, as a human being even, that I should convey what can actually be done in these operatories. And ultimately my goal is also not to just keep, keep adding parts into this process, but to try to find areas where we can take steps out that have always been unnecessary through all these years and, uh, and be able to minimize the amount of work involved in, in every step of the sterilization and infection you know, process. So Doug, after we've used a handpiece on a patient, walk us through your simple, which I liked, ways to process it so that it's effective processing and we can use it again. Sure, so number one, take the handpiece and if, it, if that handpiece sprays water, if it's a Cavitron, if it's an air water syringe, whatever sprays water, the CDC wants you to run that, um, that instrument for 20 to 30 seconds with the water on after the patient leaves to flush out any possible suck back that may have happened in the water lines. Um, we have anti-retraction valves in many, if not most of these devices. Your dental unit has an anti-retraction valve. The CDC says we need to do that anyway, simply because we don't know if those devices are working correctly. This is just another layer of safeguard. So expel that handpiece that, or instrument that runs water, that's hooked to the water for 20 to 30 seconds. Then take, I would recommend taking the rubber out before you even do that. That way you get that sharps out of the way and there's no chance of you injuring yourself. Grab the handpiece off, transport it in a safe method, like in a tub or something with a cover into central sterilization. Do not wipe the handpiece with disinfectant. Um, all we're going to do is take it in, in decontamination and central sterilization because the handpiece can't handle these strong chemicals because of all the moving parts inside. We're going to skip the ultrasonic bath and we're going to skip any wipe down with disinfectant. We're going to go right to the sink and wash it in water with a sponge. Now, a lot of people will say, well, we use a brush. That's not a problem mechanically with the handpiece. It is... Um, uh, we want to avoid aerosols that can travel in eight feet in every direction, including up and down. So we want to avoid aerosols. So we always recommended a sponge because that very much reduces the aerosols generated. Most offices I go into use a, a toothbrush because you all have them <laughs> and I, it makes sense, but it puts a lot of aerosols in, in the air and that can cross in fact eight feet in every direction. So once you wash it in water, water will not hurt the handpiece. You can leave a handpiece in water for a year and it won't rust, but disinfectants will cause rusting of internal components of the handpiece almost immediately because there's a chloride in there. It affects the metals that we use. So we're very susceptible to rusting there, but completely water's no problem. A handpiece goes into a wet mouth. It sprays water most often if it's a high speed and it goes into a steam sterilizer. Okay. So once you get it washed, dry it, and then follow your manufacturer's recommendations for oiling, cleaning. The oils, the best oils also have a cleaner in them because we're flushing out the inside. And because 
hand pieces have most of their surface area on the inside, that's where we also want to flush out any debris that got on the inside, and it did. Once we get that all flushed out, then you can dry the handpiece off, um, expel the handpiece for 20 to 30 seconds if you don't have an automatic machine, spray it out manually. Um, you have to be careful to cover that because again, that's, a, that's another aerosol issue if you have that blown everywhere, a dirty handpiece. And then uh, once you get it dry, again, wipe it off. Uh, with a, again, just a dry paper towel or lint-free cloth. Always make sure to put it into a pouch, okay, or a wrap, but it has to be contained in a sterile environment and then go into the sterilizer. And then obviously once it comes out of the sterilizer, well, actually, I should say you want to let the sterilizer go through its full cycle, including the drying cycle. The drying because, cycle. Yeah, right? Because yes. in a pouch, if the pouch is half paper, half plastic, and the paper's wet, right. it's not a barrier. So if you pull them out wet, they're not, technically they're not sterile. Right. Yep. And yes. then store them as long as you need because most of your materials that you, that you have in the pouches and such are indefinite unless they've been uh, compromised with either liquids or they've been obviously punctured or something like that and they're good to go. And then when, uh, when clinician is ready to go, the best idea is to, is to unpouch those in front of the patient so they can just see that up until that point, that instrument has been sterile. And then no need to do anything mechanical else, just snap it on, put the burr in and start to work. Okay. Now, Jules, I've yeah. been in the box before in, in sterilization where I noticed that the assistants are taking out the hand pieces prior to that drying step or even in the midst of it and having those soiled um, pouches, which, you know, causes like a wicking effect, which can, you know, have pathogens go through it. Um, I always ask the question, oh, so why are you pulling out, you know, those instruments or the hand pieces early? And more times than not, I get the answer is, you know, we just don't have enough. We just don't have enough for every patient to go through that sterilization process. Um, kind of a rule of thumb is to make sure, you know, to have three per operatory so that you have one, you know, that's being in use, one in sterilization, one, you know, ready to go as a backup. So I can't say enough about that. I have gotten into those discussions with offices, like, you know, one or two of them simply, you know, for a high productivity office, it's just not gonna cut it. Um, it's gonna be rush, 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 you know, everybody's mm -hmm. in a hurry. And, and that's when corners are cut. So. Yeah. A lot of times when we walk into an office, if we see hand pieces going through, or any instrument for that matter, going through the sterilizer unpouched, the first thing that comes to my mind is not necessarily infection control, even though I know it's an issue. It's, it's the poor staff doesn't have enough instruments to do right. it properly. So right. we advocate for you all with, with the business owner to say, hey, you know, your poor staff is killing themselves and they're having to cut some of these corners that may put put your, your business in jeopardy and you don't want to do that. And they're just trying right. to meet your demands. Um, this is Cause I know we're talking about this right now. And unless somebody is sitting there with a pen and pencil and jotting this down, it might be kind of difficult. Um, we do have documents <laughs> <laughs> where it really summarizes all of the steps involved in sterilization. 
and this is for air driven and electric and all the attachments. So this can actually be posted in sterilization. Um, I usually have these laminated so that I can bring them into the offices and so a dental assistant can have it posted right then and there. Um, I'll also walk through with everybody once again, uh, and it's in red print right here, do not spray, wipe, or soak the handpiece in disinfectants or alcohol because that's probably one thing that I see the most that's going on in there and it can really wreak havoc on those hand pieces. And I will tell you guys that for the most part, uh, all handpiece brands basically take the same maintenance protocol. Um, I had the opportunity to write the ones that, that uh, Chelsea just showed you. I also wrote similar, almost identical ones uh, from the Cavo day. So I can talk specifically about those two brands. If anyone differs from that, it just may be that their maintenance protocols have not been updated lately. Uh, some will say to wipe them with alcohol. Some will say we'll disinfect them. That is actually incorrect information today. That, though, that's actually back from the early 70s when we didn't sterilize high speeds between patients. So just be aware of that, <clears throat> that generally all of this information is applicable to all hand pieces. I want to circle back to the oiling process because I'm seeing yep. in the comments and I know we're going to answer questions at the end, but even I, do we oil our hand pieces with a burr in it or not? <laughs> great, great question. So always burr <laughs> right. out, always burr out, okay. just like, just like you wouldn't, you wouldn't work on a syringe with, with the needle in place. You want to get that burr out and the modern hand pieces since basically the late 80s all have um, process where you get the burr out of there before you maintain it or do anything. Yes, it's okay to run a hand piece without a burr. Uh, unless you have a very old Jacob's Chuck burr uh, hand piece. Um, or if someone told you, oh, no, you can never run a handpiece without a burr. That information was correct in 1975. It's not correct today. We wanted, the FDA wants us to protect everyone. We have to put all of our in instruments through FDA approval process. And part of that is what are our directions for use? And we want to get that infected spinning needle called the burr out of the handpiece before you work on it because you might accidentally um, poke yourself. And now that's right. a whole bunch of paperwork that you don't need. And, and we certainly don't want you to be put in jeopardy of, for your health. Right, but Doug, I have a machine at work where I plug my handpiece in. I have a lid that closes it automatically yep, yep. oil and maintains my handpiece. Yes. There are uh, different machines that do suggest that you put a blunt burr in there to have something yeah. in the chamber so that as that oil rotates through, it gets all the way through the gears. So that's, that is actually incorrect and old information because if you put something in there, now the debris can't flush out of the, of the burr of the chuck area. You're blocking it. Yes. Yes. Good to know. So now for, for our um, low speed motors, like our slow speeds, our hand hygiene pace, pieces, what do you recommend for the maintenance process for them? So again, treat it as all hand pieces are basically the same. Treat it like it's a high speed. So we're going to do the same thing. We're going to take the motor off, uh, get it back into central sterilization, wash it in water. Uh, again, water won't hurt those either. Um, we're going to oil it according to the manufacturer's instructions. And like Rhonda said, and if you've got a machine, even better, because that just right. does all the work for you. 
those the most of the of the North American low speed motors, most not all most are fixed back end. Those will screw right into your maintenance machines and then close the door and push the button and let it go through its maintenance. But it needs to be oiled between patients as well because basically the oil flushes out the debris so that when it goes through the sterilizer, the sterilizer effective is effective at killing microorganisms, but also we don't have a bunch of debris in there to bake in so that the machine keeps running very well. Uh, the United States Air Force did a study because the Air, they, told, they told other dental clinics throughout the world at the bases, you must, back in 2003, you must sterilize these low speeds between patients. And they all freaked out and said, okay, you better give us a million dollars because every two days, these, these low speeds are going are gonna to go, you know, they're going to break down, right. they won't run, mm -hmm. we need extras. So the Air Force, because they have the resources, the manpower to do it, they tested that theory. They took a Midwest Shorty, and the reason I say Midwest Shorty is simply because that's what's in the test. That's the one they use most throughout the world on the bases. They took a Midwest Shorty, they bought brand new ones. They said, okay, airmen, outside the mouth, this is totally a lab, cut with it for three minutes, uh, maintain it, bag it, sterilize it, bring it out, cut again. Raise your hand when it stops running. They got to a thousand cycles on like, you know, 20 or 25 hand pieces and said, okay, we're gonna stop counting. After they did a test, they found out that after a thousand cycles, the low speed motor actually got better. It had more power and it was quieter. So low speed motors, believe it or not, are extremely sterilizable. And people ask me, well, I'm not sure ours are sterilizable, Doug. What if, we, what do we, what if ours isn't sterilizable? Well, the FDA says if it's not sterilizable or it can't be made to be sterilizable, it shouldn't be used. Right. But the good news is- Or disposable. You know, Yes, the Midwest Shorty has been sterilizable since 1974. And I'll bet that's probably longer than most of the audience have been alive. Well, I'm 46, so okay, long so, time. All right, long time, right? Long time. So, long time. so they're very sterilizable. And don't forget, if there's a sterilizable symbol on it, absolutely, it's sterilizable. Okay. Um, so the other questions we had from assistance was, let's see here. I see one from Christy real quick that hits on this. She says, I was told with our nose cone that we should use, that we use for denture adjustments to oil with a burr in place and then sterilize without removing the burr so that the handpiece is never locked without a burr in place. That is also incorrect. The metals expand in heat at different rates. So think of, so back out of dental for a minute and let me just take you back to ninth grade science class. You take a glass glass, put water in it, put it in the freezer. What happens? Well, the water freezes and the glass shatters because the glass and the water expand at different rates mm -hmm. under freezing. Same thing happens with heat. Things expand and contract at different rates under, under heat. So what can happen is you can actually break your chuck by leaving the burr in place. So I would just ask you to read your IFU don't necessarily take anybody's word for it because it's the, really the IFU or also known as the DFU, directions for use, instructions for use, that really is what the engineers who made it are telling you to do. Okay, that's a good point though. I, I didn't know that. I mean, I was never told to sterilize it, but it's a good point. I, can, I could see where it could break it or maybe break off in the autoclave and you could have whatever happen. Yeah. Exactly. And then there was another question, is flash sterilization acceptable today for handpieces? It is not. No. Uh, right. In 2008, the CDC came out and said, that is not acceptable. <clears throat> and 
from an auditor's point of view, an infection control auditor would say, if you flash sterilize it, when you take it out, it's not sterile. So it just counteracted your whole, all your work right there. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump ahead. No, no problem. No, no problem. Um, so steps you would recommend with the aerosols and the handpiece and proper placement. Like placement what is of the best, best method for evacuating all those aerosols? And, and is it hand the way the doctor has his handpiece, the amount of water, the HVE that the assistant's holding, a dental yes. dam? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know it all is. of those, all of those things. Yes. Yes. So what I'd recommend is let's don't, let's don't change what they're doing clinically because we want the dentist to do their best effort on the tooth. Um, from a, from a assistant standpoint, I would try to get that, that HVE as close to the source as possible. But I, I think you guys are overthinking this. I think you already do that. Mm -hmm. And by the way, our dentists, sometimes they'll break a burr. Do you know why that burr doesn't get swallowed or aspirated most all the time? Because you good assistants are sitting there with the HVE and you right. grab it before it gets into some place you don't want it to get. So you're already doing a good job of that. I don't want you to overthink that. And one thing because, I, I, I do want them to kind of be more aware of, I guess, for me is that one, the handpiece needs to come to a complete stop before it's removed out of the mouth and your foot is completely off the rheostat and there's no water, you know, cause we do as assistants get sprayed yep. in the face um, <laughs> yes. several right. times and that we should not stop the HVE until maybe a couple seconds after to just get those lasting aerosols. Not exactly. shut it off before, just wait till they're, you know, and they've taken the handpiece off, maybe put it back on the delivery unit and then we shut off our HVE. Because I know every assistant on this webinar has been hit in the face with, a re with water coming out of the handpiece. And if you haven't, well, maybe you haven't working as long, <laughs> but I know you have. <laughs> so comes out of the mouth and whoop, there's a shower. Or the patient gets the shower up their nose, you know. <laughs> so I think we just have to be mindful of the handpiece positioning and where our HVE is. And, you know, if you're not one to have been good control with it before. I think it's going to take practice with the dentist and the dental assistant to get together and kind of reconfigure how they do things to better um, take care of those aerosols. Well, from my old college psychology classes, I will tell you it takes about 21 days <laughs> of repeated behavior for a human being to become second nature, right? right? right. We've been doing it wrong for so long. Mm -hmm. Not that we meant to, not that we didn't know the right way, but we've been just kind of doing it wrong because we, again, we get complacent. Again, not a dental thing, a human thing. Right. It, so you kind of focus on it. And once you focus on it for 21 days, then you'll start doing it naturally, correctly. Right. So the first 21 days back in your office, you're going to have to be thinking about it. And then after that, you know, you can pretty much go about your business. Uh, my psychology used, professor used to say about that. Have you ever gotten home? driving your car and you don't remember driving home? Right. Was that dangerous or was that safe? Well, actually it was pretty safe because right. you were on automatic pilot. Your, your mind, you've done it so much. A 16 year old doesn't do it that way. But a guy my age who's been driving, you know, since I was seven on the farm, I, a lot of times I get home and go, wow, that was a quick one hour trip. And I don't remember most of it. So again, once you get those learned behaviors set and they're correct, 
you're going to do it correctly and you don't even have to think about it. And then after that, you can go back to worrying about how to best serve your patient. Didn't we tell you it would be amazing? Thank you so much, Dent Supply Serona, for all the support you're showing the dental assistants. Doug and Chelsea, we truly appreciate you guys. If you want uh, the CE for this, all you've got to do is head over to the Dental Assistance Rock website. Now, under podcast, you'll click uh, the CE for Dent Supply Serona. And that code is 0428DSPOD. And I'll go ahead and link it in the show notes as well. So it's a quick hip hop and away. <laughs> Skip, jump, and a hop. I don't, one of those. <laughs> Over to the CE option. Also, OSAP. You guys, they are kicking butt. Seriously, like if you've ever needed OSAP, now is the time. They have a half off deal for membership if you use the Rockstar code, and that's D A ROCKS50. So, Seriously, there's never been a better time to become an OSAP member, um, especially with current climates and how we really need to step up our game in infection control. But, you know, if you want to get a hold of Jules Varney, Dental Assistance Rock, Instagram, Facebook, website, DA Rockstars, Instagram, Facebook, and find your tribe. Dental Assistance Worldwide Group is a safe place for you. But until next time, keep on suctioning. <laughs>